When I first went to college, I was a nervous wreck. I spent the whole first day crying in my room. I missed my family, I didn't know anyone, and I was scared. I cried myself to sleep and woke up to the first day of orientation. I mustered up all the bravery I had and awkwardly made my way to the elevator and observed my fellow students who were laughing and making friendly conversation. I was frozen with envy, fearing that I missed my shot to make any friends. I got off the elevator and was immediately absorbed into a sea of moving arms and legs. As we oozed outside from the front doors of the dormitory, there were three upperclassmen outside holding clipboards, asking us if we wanted to register to vote for the 2012 presidential election. These people were scattered all over campus, badgering the next generation to use our voice. But I had signed up the day before, and at this point, it was starting to get really annoying. At the same time that I saw these upperclassmen, a blonde-haired girl came up beside me, and she smiled. She glanced over at one of the voting Nazis and said, Come on, don't you want to register to vote? She giggled, and the grip around my heart eased as I laughed for the first time in days. Her name was Jenny. Jenny was kind and adventurous. She took chances and lived against the grain. She taught me the magic of music and how to love it. She lived freely and she lived loud. She cracked my shell and watched as I broke through it. She made me smile. We spent a lot of time together our freshman year and slowly drifted, but never strayed. We always made a point to see each other and take long walks at night. These walks were so special and I treasured them. We always ended at the staircase in front of a statue in the middle of town, where we would say our goodbyes and any last points that we had. The last memory I have of Jenny was from the middle of my senior year. She asked me to come over to help build an Ikea bookshelf. She had recently went to Spain to study abroad and was telling me all about the shenanigans she had gotten herself into as we paged through a beautiful red photo album. We talked about music and concerts and made plans as we finished the night with a walk. We embraced and parted ways. Jenny went on and graduated early with high honors and dreamed of becoming a writer. She would have changed the world with that pen. On March 4th, 2016, Jenny passed away. If you've been listening to us thus far, you may have wondered where the name In One comes from. On a tombstone, There is a line between the year in which you were born and the year that your life finally comes to an end. That line, however small, is where your story lies. It represents the life of the bones that rest beneath the soil, and only those who truly love that person will understand the worth of that line. In English, the meaning of that dash is in one, and that is how we got our name. Jenny's dash is short, shorter than it should be, but it's bold and it shines bright. We here at N1 would like to dedicate this episode to Jenny Midwig and her family. Thank you so much for sharing some of your life with me and for leaving behind the most beautiful dash I have ever seen. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this month's episode of N1. Hey there, and welcome to In One. I'm Drew Flaherty. And I'm Vito Cortese. 
And this episode of In One is dedicated to the album Sam's Town by The Killers. So for this episode, we are going to go through each track of Sam's Town, and we have found a story for each track title to go along with it. So this is going to be a longer episode than normal. We've got a wide variety of stories in here, and we're really excited to share them with you. Let's get started. So the first song on the album Sam's Town is Sam's Town. And we actually had a write-in for this story, which was Drew's friend Nick Olson. Right. Nick was in a band with me and some other guys from high school. Uh, we played in Battle of the Bands together. Um, and we practiced once a week for an hour every week. Nick, it's been a long time. It was so great to hear from you. And without further ado... Here's Nick's story. sat around the dinner table, each of us enjoying a plate of beef stroganoff, a family favorite. Our family dinners are always rife with laughter and storytelling. Oftentimes, it'll be almost an hour before any of us finishes a plate of food based on how involved the conversation is. In a natural swing of the conversation, my dad asked my younger brother, who at this time was about five, a question. Dad goes, Hey Sock, how many accountants does it take to screw in a light bulb? Quick aside, my mom is in fact a professional accountant. Sock asks, what's an accountant? Dad replies, well, that's what your mother does for a living. Then Sock, in a matter which would indicate that his whole universe has just been torn inside out, exclaims, wait, mom screws in light bulbs for a living? The whole family was laughing in hysterics for approximately the next 30 minutes. Thanks, Nick, for submitting this story about a childhood memory. All right, the third track on the album Sam's Town is When You Were Young. For this story, I sat down with my grandmother, and we talked about her experience growing up. Today I'm sitting here with my grandmother, Bonnie Jo, and uh, we're going to be talking about what it was like for you growing up, because you grew up in New Freedom, Pennsylvania, right? Yes. And that's also where I grew up, Allie, my sister grew up, and Stacy, my mom grew up, which is your daughter. Yes. So I guess to start off, what year were you born? 1938. And that was in New Freedom, right? York Hospital. Right. Um, So for those of you listening that don't know where York is, that is a little bit north of here. It is the closest, I guess, city. Yeah. Um, So what was it like 
growing up, um, like what sort of house did you live in? We lived in a, a house that had four apartments. Okay. And did you have your own room? Did you share a room? No, I had to share a room with my sister. <laughs> did you have bunk beds? No, we had just like cots. Was she pretty easy to share a room with? Yeah, yeah. She, yeah she was. And uh, growing up, which high school did you go to? I went to New Freedom School. <laughs> to eighth, um, about halfway through eighth grade. Okay. And then that, I went over to Susquehanna. And at the time, that was new, right? Susquehanna. Yes. Um, so that's where, and that's where Stacy, your daughter, went. Yeah. And that's where I graduated from, and that's where Allie will hopefully graduate from. Yes. What was the high school like back then? It was only the one school. We didn't have too much in activities or anything. Mm-hmm. And our subjects was math and um, reading and history. Wow. Did you ride the bus to school? Yes, I did. When I went to New Freedom School, I walked. Right, because that's right down, down the road. Down a half a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you do after school? Went home, started to get dinner ready, and do any chores that there was to do. Then we did our homework, and then we went to bed. It's pretty different. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so, graduating, did you feel like you had to go back to school, or did you go right to working? Right to working. Yeah. And where did you work at first? Oh. I worked in a little restaurant in New Freedom, mm-hmm. and then I worked uh, at Black & Decker. Doing what? In the winding department of armatures. Okay, so what did you do there? There I did uh, used to insulate the armatures, put paper, mm-hmm. insulation paper inside them, and then they would go on to where they got wire put right. in them. Who were your coworkers? Was it a lot of females? Was it all females? Mostly all. And what time? Would this would have been like 1950? Uh, this was like 59, mm-hmm. 59. So you've been around 21. I guess that's how old I would have been. Mm-hmm. And I worked there to um, 64. Okay. So what would you do after work? I work second shift. Okay. So. <laughs> I used to come home and go to bed. Right. So what were your days like then? What did you spend most of your free time doing? I didn't have free time. I kept my nephew, Kurt, mm-hmm. um, during the day. So you, like, babysat him? Mm-hmm. Was he pretty easy yes, to babysit? Yes, he was a good baby. Um, uh, so growing up, as you were working at 21 or t- 22, uh, was it pretty typical that your friends uh, were all getting married at that age? A lot of them, yes. Yeah. Um, did you feel like that was normal to do? Yes. We could have never went to college because we would have never had the money. So it sort of felt like starting a family was what you did after Mm -hmm. high school? That's what we did. Were you excited to start that or did it seem more? Yeah, when I had Debbie. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you had her? I was, I guess, 19. So you you were watching Kurt and you also had Debbie? Is that right? Yeah, Debbie was with me sometimes, but when I worked, she stayed with my mother. Gotcha. And she lived in New Freedom also? Yes. How far away from you? Just up the street, down a block. So what was it like getting married at... Were you married at 19? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it like getting married at 19? It was too early, but... <laughs> Did back it feel then, different? Back then, a lot of them were, you know. Yeah. Now they're older when they get married. Right. Did, when did you know that you were too young? Just never really looked back. <laughs> Just kept going. Forward. Just kept going. Um, 
Did it feel different when you got married in 19? I don't know if it felt any different. Uh, we lived in a, an apartment right by the railroad mm-hmm. uh, when Debbie was born. And then I moved up the street about two doors, three doors up. Mm-hmm. So was it typical for you guys to go out on the weekends or what sort of things did you do? We didn't do anything really. Just work and yeah, keep up with the kids? Well, my mom was, she had was raising us children. Mm-hmm. We didn't have my father. And then she got married in 47, my stepdad. And then we used to go out to eat, maybe mm-hmm. once on the weekends. And Where would you go to eat? It was Sprangley Farms. Oh, okay. Then. So that place is still open? That's still open. <laughs> um, so growing up, what sort of things did you play with as kids? We had... Big tricycles, a scooter, and roller skates. What was your favorite toy growing up? I guess it was a tricycle. <laughs> Did you wear a helmet? No. <laughs> no. We didn't have a helmet then. Um, what would you say are some of the biggest differences from the time where you were growing up and, say, when Allie or I were growing up? Oh, I couldn't say how much different it was. It was really different. Yeah. Do you think we have it easier? I think you do. I mean, it's more, you have sports and stuff that you can play. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that to do. More stuff to keep us occupied, I think. So if you had those sports uh, growing up, what sport do you think you would have played? Probably volleyball. When I went to school, it was called Biz Ed. Just gym class? Now it's gym class, I think. Did you guys have to run a mile? No. We didn't have to run. I don't remember what we did do. We had to wear gym suits, and I guess we did some, but I can't remember what it was. Right. What's your most vivid memory of your childhood? Well, my most, I guess, was riding the train. Yeah. Where did you ride the train to? We used the neighbor that used to watch us. He belonged, or he worked for the railroad, and she could ride the train. Okay. any place. And we used to go to Harrisburg at least once a week. Wow. Up to the Capitol and feed the squirrels. <laughs> and we'd go shopping in one store. Mm-hmm. And then one time she took me to Niagara Falls. By, by train? Yes. Was that how you got to most places outside of the town? By train? We didn't go too many places until my mom remarried. Mm-hmm. And then they had a car. Mm-hmm. We didn't do too much because they worked mostly two jobs so they could build a house. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it was a lot of working. Do you remember your first vacation? I don't remember any vacations. Did you take a vacation as an adult? No. No? <laughs> wow, all work. I assume you, you talked to your friends after school on the phone line, or did you not really talk outside of school? We didn't have a phone. So you guys would just, you see each other play outside? and mm-hmm. I don't know when we did get a phone. <laughs> I know we got a television in 56. And were those were still black and white? Black then, and right? white. What would you watch? Well, we were only allowed to watch it for an hour. <laughs> and I don't remember what was on. It's pretty crazy now. Allie watches television on her phone whenever she wants. Yeah. And these were the old tube TVs, right? Yeah. They were in like a console. Um, 
56 when we got it. I don't know how old I was when we got um, um, plumbing in our house. So what would you do? Well, I think we had water, but it was we didn't have a bathroom. Right. You went out in an outhouse, right? In an outhouse. Mm-hmm. And I used to walk up the hill every day with a little bucket and get a gallon of milk from the farmer up there. <laughs> a gallon of milk every day? Mm-hmm. Would you guys use a whole gallon in a day? Sometimes. Yeah. Most, a lot of times we did. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things you would cook? Pot pie. <laughs> we didn't have a big variety. We used to have pot pie and, and dandelion. <laughs> Like the flowers that grow in your yard? Not the flowers, the greens. Oh, okay. Because they didn't use sprays back then. Right. But it was the it was the greens off of what grows in your yard, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they picked the flowers to make wine. <laughs> Did you have some of that wine? I never tasted it, but my aunt used to make it. And, and you would help cook dinner, right? Yes, and then we had to wash the dishes. Mm-hmm. And you had to wash them and dry them, right? There wasn't a dishwasher. No. Wash and dry them, and then we had to clean the floor. And you did that every night? We used to sweep it every night mm-hmm. and scrub it every night. So what were your typical chores? Back then, you ironed everything. Everything. I mean, they used to iron the hems on sheets and <laughs> the foot part of a sock. And we washed. We had an old ringer washer. It had a ringer. You mm-hmm. could run the clothes through it. Oh, okay. If you got too many, it would jam up. <laughs> and when we lived in that apartment we had one like that and mother used to wash out on the porch even in the winter and we hung the clothes out Mm -hmm. you know if you was hanging a sheet or a pillowcase (laughs) it would freeze before it would get on the line and what were winters like inside cold yeah we only had a little space heater you i imagine you guys didn't really plug in much and there wasn't many appliances to plug in right Mm -hmm. Um, what's your favorite part of, I guess, innovation today in either technology or... You know what am I glad I have? Yeah. I guess TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything that, um, going through life, is there any advice that you have or any lessons that you think you wish you would have learned earlier? Don't get married young mm-hmm. and do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Get all the schooling you can get mm-hmm. and that's it. Bling Confession of a King is track four, where we get a snippet of my parents reflecting on their engagement story. It is quite comical. It was like 4th of July. It was wasn't the, fireworks. Was it the 4th of July? It was the 4th of July. No, it was the 5th or the 6th. We slowed fireworks. All right. Anyway, we went and bought gin and tonic, right? You could to drink and drive back then. We don't do that anymore, but we did then. Right? Mm-hmm. No, we didn't. We only had one drink. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we put them in like a Burger King cup with the cover and the straw. Palm That's not true. Stop so, saying that. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Daddy, when we were on the beach, and I guess we was kissing, right? Daddy put the ring. Daddy put the ring on top of the 
clamp on, plastic on top. Everything. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> anyway, he put it on top of the cup, and I went to pick up the cup to take a sip of my drink, and he went like, oh, no, oh, no. And I was like, what? He said, the ring. I'm like, what ring? <laughs> and then he asked me to marry him, and then we spent about 20 minutes looking for the ring, right? I had to go to Walmart and get a metal detector. No, we didn't. That's not. He's making that up. That party's making it up. We didn't have Walmart back then. All right, track five is For Reasons Unknown, and we interpreted this as a story of chance. For this track, Mario interviewed our friend Jose, who picked up and moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, to chase a dream. Hey, Jose. Hey, how you doing? Good. So I hear you have a story for us. Yeah, I got a little one. All right. So tell us a little bit about a time that you took a chance. Well, uh, if you know me, uh, uh, before all of this happened, I wasn't really a risk taker. Uh, I went to college relatively close to my house. So, you know, obviously there was a chance there, but it wasn't a huge one. I kind of went far away, but I chose not to. Because, I don't know, I just felt like, you know, home is, is you know, more comforting. Uh, but then I was recently uh, introduced to the opportunity to move to Cincinnati. And uh, my, everyone's first reaction to uh, hearing about Cincinnati is, where the hell is Cincinnati and what the hell is Cincinnati? So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I took that chance um, with my girlfriend, actually. And, uh, you know, it was rough at first, but, you know, now I'm here and... Uh, think uh it's a good fit so what kind of sparked you to take that chance and and move out there to the middle of nowhere well it was the female man life revolves around the female that's how it goes and that's pretty much how it's gonna be for the rest of my life uh yeah so my girlfriend at the time she got a coaching position at xavier university and at first i was not a fan of the idea of moving out to Cincinnati. Actually, we broke up because I was not comfortable living with someone in some random place. But, you know, things happened and you know, we reconnected and I, I thought to myself, and, you know, this is a good opportunity for me to branch out. This is a good opportunity for me to experience something new because my whole motto in life is uh, to keep growing. And, you know, if I didn't do this, I would have, you know, been lying to myself this whole time. So, yeah, I packed my bags and I drove nine hours and here I am in the middle of nowhere, essentially. But Cincinnati is not that bad. It's pretty cool. So you think overall this has helped you grow as a person? Yeah, tremendously. Uh, you know, it might not be like huge, like bounds, but incrementally, I mean, like I said, um, my whole philosophy is to always keep growing and, uh, whether I know it now or whether I figure it out later, you know, I feel like this has definitely helped me grow as an individual, making me become more independent, um, making me branch out more and talk to people. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a good thing. 
we only have one life, so I mean, even if it's a, like a little opportunity, I'd say, you know, take the opportunity because you might not get presented with that again, and who knows what might be in store for you. Like, there's endless possibilities out there, and it might at first it might seem scary, and I know it did for me, and I I didn't make that jump at first, but you know, now that I did make that jump, um, it's been very good. So yeah. I say if there's an opportunity there, you know, take it wholeheartedly. But and know that you know there's always going to be support for you, no matter what. six off of the album Sam's Town is Read My Mind and this is a song that can be interpreted in several different ways. A lot of people believe it's about a relationship and the girl wants to leave but the guy is kind of struggling with if he wants to stay in his hometown or if he wants to follow this girl to wherever life might take him and some people believe it's just about a guy who really hates where he grew up and wants to experience what else is out there. And I think I closely represent or closely interpret it the second way in which I grew up in a small town, Bangor, Pennsylvania, which is a great town, by the way. I loved it. And I'm so glad that I had the experience of living there. But you'd have to drive 30 minutes to get a pair of socks. So unless you drove or knew someone that could drive, there wasn't really that much to do. And the only bowling alley that was there, which I think was the only thing to do, got closed down when I was in high school. Um, so I did want to leave Bangor and, and try something else, but I was also really scared and I was very shy and nervous. So I was stuck in this comfort zone of Bangor. Um, but my mom, actually, she's the one who pushed me and she said, you know, Binks, you're going to college and I really think you should go somewhere that's far enough away where we can come and get you if you need us, but also far enough away where you can't come home every single weekend. So that way it's kind of forcing myself to grow and branch out, meet new people, and experience new things. And I am so glad for that as well, because if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't have moved to Seattle and had that incredible chance to check out the West Coast and and live somewhere completely different. So as a piece of advice, uh, somewhere to... Mario and Jose's story, I would definitely encourage that if you're nervous or scared to try something new, just give it a whirl because you don't know how that may change you or influence you in the better. Track seven is Uncle Johnny, where my cousin John submitted a story about what it's like to be an uncle. Uh, This is a new title for him and he's trying it out. So my cousin Vito asked me to record a little excerpt, as one might say, for his podcast about what it is like being an uncle. Let me start off with some positive things that being an uncle is all about. First of all, I get to watch him do all the fun stuff, like bite Aunt Jess and climb cabinets, and I'm allowed to laugh because it isn't my full responsibility to yell at him for it. 
I'm going to be honest. Most of the time I just egg him on as long as he isn't going to get hurt. I also get to let him eat as much candy as he wants to because I don't have to deal with trying to get him to fall asleep at night. Honestly, it's a pretty great experience overall with not a whole lot of negativity surrounding it until you get to the diaper changing. Let me tell you, I watched this boy Friday morning and he shit himself four times within the first three hours. I I was impressed. Like, I did not know what to say. And I was impressed until I realized I was the one who had to change his diaper because his grandma went to work. Which... Don't get me wrong, it's not all that hard of a job changing the diaper until you realized it went all up his back, down his legs, and then when you try and clean him up, he starts to make more of a mess by just rolling around in it and laughing at you because you're the one who has to change his diaper and he knows it. But you can't help but laugh because babies have that kind of effect on some people. Needless to say, I was happy when his grandma got home because keeping up with a toddler is tough business. Track 8 is titled Bones. I've always thought of this song as a love story, so for this one I'm sharing a memory of an anonymous runner that I ran beside during the Seattle Marathon. Um, She had such grace and strength, and I'm excited to share that with you guys. Don't you want to swim with me? Don't you want to feel my skin on your skin? Okay. For the track bones, we um, decided to highlight a story um, that was actually passed down to me during the Seattle Marathon in 2016. So for the first 13 miles, I was actually mostly on my own. And then I would say it was probably exactly at 13 that uh, this woman started running right next to me, at the same pace as me, which at first threw me off. She stayed there for probably three miles before uh, we even spoke to each other. So we were at that point approaching mile 16. Um, So she introduced herself. I won't share her name for privacy reasons, but um, after some small talk, she said that she liked to share um, this story, especially because it was so fresh, but because it was so powerful. And, you know, when you're in something for 26 miles, which normally takes the average person, you know, three, four, even five hours, there's a lot of emotion that comes with that. And so she was giving this story as a remembrance of, you know, what she's gone through, but also um, to remind everyone why we set out on the road every day to test ourselves. So her and her husband met and he was a successful uh, track runner in college and he got her into running. Together, after they got married, they built this successful landscaping and construction business. And at some point, she found out that she had some sort of rare disease um, or condition where her body was degenerating and the effects of running was actually helping her to maintain her health. So it became something that was actually 
running was saving her life. And it was this beautiful bond that uh, she had started and shared with her husband. And so it was actually the summer before the Seattle Marathon uh, that he was killed in a car accident. And so since his death, she had actually run um, a few more marathons and she had planned to run a bunch more, but it wasn't, it wasn't the races that she was running for, you know, it was actually for herself. And I can imagine also for her sanity. Um, and I chose to share this story with Bones because to me, Bones is a story about love and the love that she was sharing that day on the racetrack and the love that day that she was sharing on the route was, you know, one of running for the sake of running. It was also one for the sake of love itself for her husband and something that he passed along to her. And it was also running literally for her life, uh, which was a really beautiful thing. And I thank her so much for sharing that. And I still think about that often on my daily runs. The next track is My List. So for this one, Drew and I thought it would be fun to go through some of the to-do lists that we create for all the places that we've lived so far. And the first one was at Westchester. Right. So we picked mostly coffee shops that we wanted to visit, as well as areas within the Downingtown, Exton, Philadelphia region where we wanted to hike. And by doing that, we found the park John Hines, which is unfortunately near an airport, but once you get in there, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah, it was actually featured on Runner's World. That's how we found John Hines. Nice. That was a really cool one. And then when we moved to Seattle, of course, we wanted to do a bunch of the touristy things like going on the Space Needle and checking out the Troll at Fremont. But there was a bunch of other things that we had found as... I guess we were locals at that point, uh, that we wanted to do either where we were living or near the surrounding area. My personal favorite was Franklin Falls, which was about 30 to 45 minutes away, which was a short hike that took you to a frozen waterfall. So the one time we went, we actually saw people ice picking their way up the waterfall because it was so frozen, and that blew my mind because I didn't know that was real. <laughs> And for some reason, everyone that went to hike there wore um, not hiking boots. Yeah, it was out of control. One girl had bands. Bands or Ugg boots or someone was definitely in something where they just slid the whole way down. One time, and it's really cold there, and I saw people in shorts (laughs) falling down ice slides. (laughs) It was rough. Right, which brings us to where we're living today, which is beautiful Mount Joy, Pennsylvania. Which is located in Lancaster County, and we're like right in the middle of Harrisburg and Lancaster City, which when I first came here, I thought Lancaster was just full of Amish people, which it is, 
But the city is pretty hip. I would describe it as a hip city. Right. And what's it like living in Mount Joy? Just for those uh, lucky listeners that don't know. (laughs) Because it's just a strip. It's a strip of bars, as far as I'm concerned. And gas stations, and you have two giants to pick from, which we're still trying to figure out why. Like, the two giants are ten minutes from each other, and we're five minutes. Like, we're right smack in the middle. So we flip a coin, like, which giant are we going to go to? (laughs) Anyways, so... Uh, I have the list here in front of me, and I'm looking at some of our items. And this is a handwritten list that we've hung on the fridge. Yeah, to remind <laughs> us every day of goals. Um, so one that we just recently accomplished was uh, to go to a First Friday. And First Friday is pretty cool. It's when all the art galleries open up in Lancaster City, and normal pedestrians and people that don't know anything about art can walk around and eat food, enjoy the art, ask questions, meet the artists. It's yeah, it's pretty nifty. Hip. Definitely hip. What was your favorite painting? Or a piece of art. It wasn't just painting. Um, I did... Hmm. Oh, they had these really cool chairs, and the artist painted animals on the chair. So it went from, like, the seat up onto the back part. Right. It's important to say what kind of chair it was, though, because this isn't just a wooden chair. Right. It was, like, a full-on living room chair. Like a lazy boy recliner. Right. Like, it wasn't... That wasn't a thrift shop chair. No. Picture your dad in a chair painted as a peacock. Reading the newspaper. That's what this was. This was art. What about you? What was your favorite? Um, I'm going to stick to my guns and say the uh, five-foot painting of a goose wearing a bejeweled crown. And I know this is a podcast. You guys can't see this. We don't have it with us, but it is a terrible painting. It's amazing. It's awful. <laughs> what else do we have on this list? Okay. Um, we want to We want to go to the bars in Mount Joy. And a stipulation to this is that we must walk there. And because Mount Joy is a strip, as I mentioned before, it wouldn't take too long to get there. And we wouldn't have to worry about having a designated driver or anything. But there's a lot of bars in a really short distance. Right, but they're still not close to us. Like, they're a mile and a half away. That's true. It doesn't feel that way when you're driving. (laughs) Most things don't. (laughs) Very fair. (laughs) All right, another thing is um, we want to do the Turkey Hill experience. Yes, it's so big. It's just a giant sign of a cow on it. And I hear you get to make your own ice cream. Like, not the actual ice cream, but you get to, like, make your own ice cream decorated meal. Right. The thing I'm confused about is it's a giant cow. Yeah, that's the sign. The sign's a giant cow, and it has its, like, hooves up. Oh, right. But there's also a giant cow out front. (laughs) Oh, there is. They brought it to Elizabethtown. (laughs) They brought that cow. I saw it. (laughs) Okay, and one last last item on our Mount Joy bucket list, which we should should mention that we've only done one of these. (laughs) Just so the rest of the things that we're talking about we have not yet done. Um, We want to take a train ride from Mount Joy. Because the train stops here. I don't know why Amtrak, because it's Amtrak. It's not just any train. 
runs through Mount Joy. Amtrak's a big train system. Right, it's a big train system, but why is it in Mount Joy? There's no business for a train system in Mount Joy. (laughs) Okay, well, to be fair, trains have to pass through unwanted places to get to their destinations. (laughs) Well, that explains why it comes through Mount Joy. (laughs) But anyways, we, uh... We started Bucket List when we moved to our alma mater, Westchester, in order to experience more of the stuff around it, just because we felt like it's easy to get trapped inside your routines. Do you have any recommendations for people um, as they maybe are inspired to make a bucket list for their area? Um, I would say that I think it's easy to put things on a bucket list that you're comfortable with. So if you see something that catches your eye or someone told you about that maybe you're all iffy to do or experience, I would say go for it because the worst thing that will come out of the experience is that you don't like it. And there's always something new to be learned or maybe a new thing or hobby that you'll be interested in just by going to that experience. You might meet someone new as well. How about you? Any any recommendations for for list? Try to make sure it's not all food. That's it's <laughs> a good one. I think that was the the first lesson we learned was that we picked mostly restaurants at our first pass at a at a list. But other than that, just enjoy it and make one. I think that's my advice is to make one because yeah. it's definitely fun to have something to look forward to. Um, as you settle into a new place or even as you are getting ready to leave somewhere it's fun to try and pack as much i don't know like spontaneity into a place before you leave track 10 is this river is wild for this one we gave jordan the helm and he interviewed mike lahat about firefly festival This is a music festival that takes place in Dover, Delaware. Uh, There was a lot of mud, good music, and not a lot of clothes. I've been trying hard to do what's right, but you know I could stay here all night and watch the clouds fall from the sky because this river. Hey guys, this is Jordan, and my song today is The River is Wild, and my guest today is Michael Hatt. So we're going to delve into our Firefly trip in 2015, and uh, the people that were with us on this trip were me, Mike, Drew, Vito, Mario, and our good friend Hannah from back home. So Mike, I just wanted to get an overall experience. How did you feel about Firefly? Uh, I honestly think Firefly is a crazy time. And it's a good experience to go to and to try out. Uh, never been to a festival before until I started going to Firefly. And I do highly recommend going to at least try it once. Yeah, so you've been to a few, right? I know you went to the one the year before I went. It was uh, my first year for Firefly. And it was really cool because you got to, like, we camped out with, like, a ton of different people. And we also had, I remember we had a little uh, propane grill which is really funny because we had 
We had all this meat in a cooler, and I think we made rum burgers at one point. Um, so what was your uh, favorite band at the uh, Firefly Festival? Well, I'm trying to remember back to 2015 for that, and there was a lot of different artists that I did want to see that year. Uh, the Killers, obviously, were fantastic and amazing to see, uh, but Modest Mouse has my heart, and... I kind of just like lost it there, but ending the whole entire trip of seeing the killers was pretty sweet. What was uh, crazy about Modest Mouse? Basically crowd surfing to float on and me just staring up at the sky and seeing all the stars and basically forgetting where I was for all maybe two minutes of crowd surfing and then getting hugged by a huge security guard at the end. (laughs) That's really sick. I think we got split up because at that point... I'm not really a huge Modest Mouse fan because I think I was with Drew and I think we all got this like Asian salad at one point and it was just lettuce and like peanut sauce and that was it and I think it was like eight dollars it was and it wasn't like a salad it was like in one of those little side fries portions like these little paper cup things oh man it was it, it was pretty bad it was pretty terrible but uh, honestly, it was like a lot of fun. We kind of got gouged if you wanted to get anything there. I think they had a dogfish uh, bre- brewery or a brew pub area. That was really cool. I think at one point I was drinking dogfish. I got really tired. I just like passed out on the bench, like right in front of you. Yeah, I, I remember you passing out. Uh, I don't think it was a bench. I honestly think that you just sat down on the ground in the grass and you just laid there. No, I think it was like on like a wooden, it was like a wooden table. It was like one of those wooden picnic tables because I remember I had my head down like in my arms and like some security guard came by and was like is he okay <laughs> I I do remember that them having tables out there but I am almost positive <laughs> that there was another point where you just sat down in the grass and we kind of just waited there for you to recover a little bit <laughs> that's really funny um I also know that uh we saw Hozier there that was a lot of fun and then we we saw Sublime too so Sublime was really cool. They had a new singer at that point. Who was who was it again? Well, it it wasn't uh, the traditional Sublime. It was Sublime with Rome. So it was some of the original people, but you know, new singer and uh, I think new someone else, maybe guitarist. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but uh, they're pretty cool. It was it was cool just listening to those old songs. Yeah, it was like because. Yeah, I've never heard them live, so it was really cool to hear, like, kind of such a famous band, especially, I think, through the 90s, they were really big, so it was cool to see them. And then we uh, went down, this is the last day, and we went down to Bastille, and that was cool because just me and you, I think we all actually got split up, and you went to Snoop Dogg, and I was like, I'm going to stay for Bastille because the killers are going to be on. Right after you left, I uh, there's these six drunk guys next to me, and they're just like, what if we just got one of us to stand on our hands? So they lifted this guy up, and he he was, like, just standing on their hands with his arms out. It was a lot of fun. And I just, like, okay, I'm just going to tag along with these guys. So I jumped, like, right behind this little group, and we just pushed to the front. So I, I ended up, like, third row for the Killers. And honestly, that was probably the greatest musical experience in my lifetime. Um, I also feel like I can never go to another, like, festival again because I'm, like, when am I going to have that opportunity? Unless, like, I stand, like, 12 hours on day three. Um, but, yeah, I think that was really cool. And where were you during the Killers concert? Uh, so, like you said, I got completely split up for the whole entire group. And uh, 
I was kind of just like, well, what do I do? Do I just sit back, relax, uh, try to text everyone? But even if you tried to text a single person or call, since there's 90,000 people, I think that year, maybe all cell service was gone. So I kind of just made my way into the crowd uh, for the killers. And I shouldn't have crowd surfed because it was not the crowd that you should have crowd surfed. And also at the same time, everyone was trying to crowd surf. Mm-hmm. It worked twice, but I was dropped three times on the ground, so it wasn't that enjoyable. <laughs> uh, but after the third time of being dropped on the ground, uh, I was maybe like 10 rows back on the right side. Uh, met some people, became somewhat friends for like a Everyone day. Everyone was friends at festival. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was up in the front, it was it was actually, we were just getting pissed off in the front because there was just non-stop people and at one point you just like just trying to throw people as far as and you kind of hope that they like they got hurt because you're just getting pissed off that it was like i must have threw like 30 people over my head it was just awful but actually it helped out because every time you push someone forward you kind of cut in front of someone else so that was kind of nice you just kind of squeezed your way in front of more people so if i would have moved up further from crowd surfing you would have threw me on the ground another time probably (laughs) Probably, it probably would have happened um, I think at the biggest moment was we had a tropical storm. That was that was huge, and we were at Kid Cudi, and Kid Cudi was he was like three songs deep, and he's like, "Yo, everyone's got to get out of here." But honestly, he also was probably the worst performance of that entire festival. Uh, he forgot a few lines during one of his songs, and his pursuit of happiness. What what do you think of his uh, concert part? At first, when we went there, I kind of thought it was going to be cool to see him live. Uh... But at the same time, it was kind of really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only cool part of his show was that there's lightning streaking across the sky of the tropical storm moving in. And him yelling on the mic, everyone get out, get back to the campgrounds. Um, and that kind of like made my night a little bit because everyone just ran into a stampede and was freaking out because they're like, what do we do? What do we do? This hasn't happened before. But I'd say that'd be my most enjoyable part from his performance <laughs> was all of us running after the performance. Yeah, it was crazy. We actually all packed up that night. We were ready to leave. It was the day before the last day. I think it was the third day out of the four days. So we were ready to leave that night. Thankfully, we got to stay. Um, we actually kind of snubbed one of the biggest performances at the Firefly that we haven't talked about was Paul McCartney. Like, we completely forgot to talk about him. He was awesome. Honestly, it's more awesome that I got to see Paul McCartney live before my father did, and he's a huge Beatles fan. He was born in the 50s, so uh, the Beatles were very prevalent during his, his younger years. Um, that was that was really cool. What did you think of him? I, I thought Paul McCartney was pretty cool to see live. I am not really a fan of the Beatles. I respect what they did and what they brought forth, but seeing him live was, was kind of magical. I mean... Yeah, it really was. I, I bragged to my cousins that are, like, weirdly obsessed about the Beatles and now they kind of hate me so I find it hilarious yeah I think I kind of like went nuts when we started playing Paperback Writer I don't know why that song was awesome I love it but yeah I told my dad and he was just like he was definitely jealous because he probably he probably won't go out to a festival to see him but I think those are the biggest moments of our Firefly in 2015 and maybe we'll try to hit up another one sooner or later Uh, it's gonna take a really good list of bands for me to go um, but yeah, I think we'll have a fun time again if we ever go. I would say if you plan on drinking at all, please drink outside in your campsite. 
because once you get inside, they will gouge you. I mean, I drank my fair share of rum, and my wallet was not feeling happy after those few days. After being, like, blasted <laughs> for hours and hours. Don't do it. Save money. <laughs> Just drink outside your campsite. Alright guys, thanks for listening to my segment. I'll leave it back to Jerome Vito. Track 11 is Why Do I Keep Counting? Here we have Mario interviewing his great-grandfather, where he reflects on the many years he spent taking care of his son. went to a Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, and I started thinking about going to college, but I drew back on it and just went to work and started my own businesses. What business did you start first? That was the uh, pizza restaurant, pizza restaurant business. Okay. We started, uh, the family started in 39, which I was a youngster then, and I started in uh, 60, 62, okay. out in Long Island. And that was the pizza shop that was here in Deer Park? No, that was one in, uh, in, in Nassau County in Baldwin, New York. Okay. I was there for 20-something years. Oh, wow. Then I got out of there and I came to... Uh, North Babylon area, and spent another 20-something years at another store I built, and also had one built for my son, but unfortunately he came down with a terrible illness, and I had to get rid of it, his store. Eventually I had to get rid of mine because like, his mom passed when he was 10 years old, and naturally I had to take care of him. And I was, it was hard taking care of him and running a business. So I had to think along the lines of getting rid of that, which I did eventually. And spent my time taking care of my son, who's been bedridden for 24 years. I literally, and I'm not regretting it, gave him my life because his mother passed when he was 10. I had to bring him up. I was taking care of him, sending him to school. I'd have to close my store sometimes for an hour or two to come and check on him. At that particular time, it was only him and I. So I did the best I could. Unfortunately, I guess, I don't know if the best was good enough. He came down with multiple sclerosis, a terrible, terrible illness. And thank the good Lord, he's been in bed for 20-something years, and he handles it, much to everybody's surprise, especially a doctor who comes over here once a month to check him and said he's one of the best patients he's ever met, met with this serious illness. 
compared to the complaining people he takes care of with less illness. Mm. So he feels that he's a real champ in that area. The theme for our next episode is foreign affairs, where we talk to people who are either from a different country or have experienced time living in another place and their experiences and perspectives on that lifestyle. So if you have a story about a study abroad or a mission trip you took or just a vacation, some event that landed you in another country, feel free to send us a story Using the link in the description, you can be anonymous or you can you can fill out the form with your name. We're so excited to share these stories. Thank you guys so much for listening. Also in the description, you can find our Spotify playlist of mostly killer songs and some other jams we thought you guys would enjoy. Don't forget to rate and review us. We really do look at all the feedback and we appreciate you guys. And until next time, we are in one. Tell your friends. We are in one. We are in one. <laughs> we are in one. We are in one. We are in one. Okay, you're done. Okay. <laughs> we are in one.